Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray and continuing uh, to worship this Lord, this God who is full of glory and goodness, who has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We now get the privilege of listening to his word. So please join me in prayer. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. That's our desire today. That is the heart behind our songs. And Lord, even now as we listen, I pray that you would give us an eagerness to hear from you. I pray that you'd help us to put aside all distractions, that we would be focused and intent on your word, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. You are the Lord of all glory, and you are worthy of our full attention and devotion. And you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures. So Lord, receive now our worship as we come eagerly with open hearts and minds to receive all that you will say. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please turn to Exodus chapter 18 this morning. You know, cultures change over time. And people change and things change. And one of the things that's unique about our modern Western culture is the way that families are structured. In our day and age, it's not uncommon for the family to actually be spread out and not all be living under the same roof, not all be living on the same plot of land or even in the same city. It's funny, maybe this is in the last couple years, on my wife's side of the family, at one point between her siblings and her parents, they had people in every time zone in the United States. So we were all kind of spread out. We didn't get to see each other as often as we would have liked. So because of that dynamic, maybe some of you can relate, we kind of have to like plan certain times where we can all get together. Holidays, family reunions, things like that. And those times together can be wonderful. And those times together can also be exhausting. Those times can be a lot of fun. Sometimes for, for some of us, they can maybe be painful. They can be encouraging. And really the thing that makes the difference probably, and think about your own family, often what makes the difference is whether or not we share with those family members something deeper, something more than just blood. It's whether we share the same faith in Jesus Christ that often makes that gathering unique. Well, in Exodus chapter 18, we have a family reunion of sorts. Uh, Moses is meeting up with his father-in-law, Jethro. And in this meeting, in this family reunion, Jethro and Moses come to share something more than just a mutual connection. You know, Jethro's daughter, Moses' wife, this woman, Zipporah. They actually come to share a mutual fear of God. And in the exchange that happens here, what we find is that there's this mutual honor, mutual affection, and the sharing of blessing. I'd like to sort of walk through this narrative, and then at the end, I'm just going to pull out a few observations for us. Verses 1 through 7, we find the family reunion. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness 
where he was encamped at the mountain of God. We'll stop there. So to get into this, we have to understand, first of all, who's Jethro? No, he's not a character on the Beverly Hillbillies. This is a different Jethro. The older, some of the older folks remember what that is. Some of you kids have no clue. Um, but Jethro, we're told in verse 1, is the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. Now, if you remember last week, the Israelites had come face-to-face with this group of people called the Amalekites. And we did a little bit of the family tree and saw who Amalek was, a descendant of Esau, so related to the children of Israel. Well, the Midianites, like the Amalekites, they are also an Abrahamic people. Following Sarah's death, Abraham had married again. He married a woman named Keturah who bore him several sons. And one of those sons was named Midian. So Midian is a son of Abraham. God had promised Abraham that he would make him the father of many nations. And that's true. Through Ishmael and Amalek and Midian and and others, we see these other nations that populated that region. So the Midianites are relatives of Israel. And Jethro, according to verse 1, is a priest. And so we need to think about this. What kind of priest is Jethro? It's possible that, that Jethro had knowledge of Yahweh that had been passed down through the generations. Because remember, they were distantly related. Um, Abraham was their ancestor. But later passages will show that the Midianites were a pagan people. And they worshipped many false gods. So Jethro likely is a pagan priest. But this Midianite priest is also Moses' father-in-law. Exodus chapter 4 tells us that about 40 years before this, this man Jethro had noticed that his seven daughters were home early from watering their flock. And when he asked them to explain how this could be, they said, well, this Egyptian man showed up and he chased off all the other shepherds that typically bully us and push us to the end of the line. And he even drew water for our flock. And Jethro says, well, bring him here. Why did you leave him there? And so they bring him over for dinner. And it turns out that this Egyptian man that had helped Jethro's daughters was actually not an Egyptian. He may have dressed like it and and spoke the language, but this man was Moses. He was a Hebrew who had been raised in the house of Pharaoh, but was on the run. He was a fugitive. Now the Midianites had no love for Egypt. They were neighbors and there was conflict And also, this man had made a pretty good impression on Jethro. So he welcomes Moses in and says, hey, you should stay here with me. You're looking for a place to be. Why not stay here? And so he welcomed Moses into his household. And Moses ended up working for Jethro as his employee. He was a shepherd for 40 years, taking care of Jethro's sheep. And he ended up marrying one of his daughters, Zipporah. Now, Moses lived there in Midian for 40 years. It's a long time. And as you can imagine, the priest of Midian and Moses, they probably sat around and talked shop at some point. You know, they talked about theology, talked about religion, talked about their, the, the history of their nations and their common ancestor, Abraham. They would have talked about how the Israelites worshipped Yahweh and the Midianites had their own gods. And, you know, Moses had his, his views and Jethro had his. Maybe you can relate with some of your family members. You each have your own beliefs, and you know where you disagree, and maybe you even talk about it sometimes. But then one day, Moses comes back from work, and he talks to Jethro, and he has this amazing story. He says, the God of my fathers spoke to me on the mountain. 
The bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And the great I am has commissioned me to return to Egypt and to lead the Hebrew people to freedom. And then Moses had left. Now put yourself in Jethro's sandals. Okay, Moses, whatever you say, but we'll see how this goes. Now, since that time, Jethro has been hearing some things. Passing caravans of traders make their way through. Nomadic shepherds report on things that they have seen. Various travelers carried rumors of these catastrophic plagues that had taken place in Egypt. They, they tell Jethro this incredible story about the army of Egypt drowning in the Red Sea, crushed by the waves as, as a pathway had opened up through the sea. And they tell Jethro that this man named Moses was leading a nation of freed slaves through the wilderness. Verse 1 says, The priest of Midian, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so it says next that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. So at some point in this story, Moses' wife and sons had returned to Jethro. It's possible that Moses had sent them there you know, when, when he left them there when he was going back to Egypt because he knew it would be dangerous. But I think it's more likely that they were actually with Moses during the Exodus. And Moses was leading the people now in the wilderness, and they were drawing closer and closer to the land of Midian. Um, but the nation moves pretty slowly. And when the, the cloud uh, or the pillar of fire, you know, by day, by night, whenever the cloud moves, the people move. And when it parks, they stay put sometimes for a while. And since they were drawing near to the home of Zipporah, to Jethro's neck of the woods, the kids wanted to see grandpa, you know, and Zipporah wanted to go home and visit and not sit there and wait around in the wilderness. So it seems like Moses had sent them back for a visit. And now Jethro comes to bring them back and to meet with Moses. And notice what happens when they meet. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So they've drawn near to Sinai. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. I think you see a little bit of mutual honor and respect here. Uh, Jethro announces that he's coming and he's bringing Moses' daughter and sons back to him. And this would have been a big statement of approval. Like, hey, my crazy son-in-law, like, I actually trust you and I'm going to bring my daughter and my grandkids back because it seems like you have a good thing going. And you also see the humility of Moses that this man who's the leader of the nation, who's just defied Pharaoh and, and they've just defeated Amalek, he doesn't sit back in his tent sort of say, I'll give an audience to Jethro. Tell him he can have an appointment with me and come in and visit. No, he goes out to meet his father-in-law and there's affection. He gives him this greeting. He kisses him. And the two men demonstrate mutual concern for each other's welfare. They ask each other about their welfare and then they go into the tents together. So here's what's interesting to me. There's sort of a contrast here between the Amalekites and the Midianites, at least Jethro and his clan. There's a stark contrast. Jethro is a different sort of Gentile. 
The Amalekites had seen Israel approaching and had gone on the attack. But Jethro takes a little different approach. But what's really interesting to me is what happens in verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered him. So Jethro had heard about these things. Verse 1 tells us that. But now Moses says, yes, the stories are true. And he confirms those stories and he fills him in with all the details. He tells him about the miracles of Egypt. He tells him about the plagues that fell upon that rebellious people. He tells him about the Red Sea opening up and how God delivered his people. He tells Jethro about bitter water that was made fresh, about bread that came down out of heaven. He tells him about water that burst forth from the rock and tells Jethro about how they just defeated the Amalekites as Moses stood there with his staff raised that day over the battle. It's all true. Moses told Jethro about how time and time again, Israel had faced crisis and hardship and every single time God had been faithful Notice he tells him not just about what Israel had experienced, but specifically all that the Lord had done and how the Lord had delivered them. He's saying, let me tell you what my God has done for us. And look how Jethro responds. Verse nine. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is nothing less than the conversion of Jethro. When he hears everything that the Lord has done for Moses and for his nation, he rejoices and he blesses God. This is a heart that is soft towards the Lord, a heart that is changing. When he hears about God's faithfulness, when he hears about God's deliverance, when he hears about God's glorious works, this causes Jethro's heart to sing. A very different response than the Amalekites when they heard about this powerful nation that had emerged from Egypt and was now coming into their land. But what stands out especially is this amazing confession. This confession in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. What a statement. What a statement from this pagan priest who was the resident theologian and lead worshiper for all of these false gods in the land of Midian. You see, Jethro had heard of this god. He knew about him. It wasn't the first time that that he had heard about Yahweh. And he knew the history. He knew about the supposed promises to Abraham. He had heard Moses talk about all this in the past. But now he's hearing about the triumph of Yahweh over all the powerful gods of Egypt. And Jethro is convinced. Now he knows there is no one like the Lord, no one like Yahweh. This statement, now I know, this knowledge that that Jethro speaks of, 
This is really the purpose behind God's mighty works. God does things so that all will know that he is the Lord, so that he will receive glory, so that he will be feared, so that he will be worshiped, so that he will be believed in. In Exodus chapter six, verse seven, God had said, I will take you to be my people, speaking of Israel, and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Israel needed to know who God was. And that's why God did what he did, so that they would know. Not only Israel needed to know, Egypt needed to know as well. In Exodus 7, verse 4, God had said, I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Egypt needed to know. And eventually they did. Remember, all of Israel's neighbors, they said, please depart from us. Get out of here. Take our gold. Take our supplies. We don't care. Just go. Because they knew that Yahweh was greater than their gods. Ultimately, God's aim is that all the world will see his glory. And will know that he is the Lord. Habakkuk 2.14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's purpose. The manifestation of his glory so that everyone will see how great he is. And Jethro confesses, Now I know. Now I know. The Lord is greater than all gods. He gets it. He gets it. This is his profession of faith. This is his conversion. And his changed heart is evidenced immediately in worship. He brings a, a burnt offering. And the language here doesn't so much indicate that the pagan priest is officiating like the worship. It has the idea that he's bringing the supplies. He's bringing, he's bringing goats and bulls and sheep from his own flocks as an offering to God to participate in the worship of Yahweh. The burnt offering ha has the idea of atonement for sin. And these other sacrifices are simply expressions of thanksgiving and praise. Jethro is participating in the worship of Yahweh. This new faith, this new commitment to worship God instead of all the other gods is also immediately expressed as he fellowships with his fellow worshipers. He sits down to this covenantal meal with Aaron and the elders of Israel. And think about this. Think about what this would have looked like. He likely had the specific robes that marked him off as a Midianite and specifically as a priest, but Israel would have seen this man sitting down to the table with Aaron and the elders participating in the worship of the one true God. He was from Midian. They are Hebrews, but they share the table together as those who fear the Lord. He may be an outsider, but he is now joined together with them by his common faith. Really, the conversion of Jethro is a refreshing change from all the other stuff we've been seeing in Exodus. It is. We've seen Egypt and Amalek be antagonistic, hateful, violent, cruel, responding towards Israel and their God. It's even a refreshing change from the grumbling Israelites. I mean, they have actually seen all these things taking place, and they still tend to have a hard heart and grumble all the time. Jethro hasn't seen these things the way that Israel has, but he has heard, and it's enough for him. He believes, and he worships. This is a pretty amazing family reunion. 
I wish that more of our family reunions could look like this, where we tell people about the amazing things that God has done for us and hearts are turned towards God to say, now I know that he is the true God and I want to worship him as well. It's a pretty awesome family reunion. But Jethro doesn't just believe and worship. On the next day, we see that he offers some wise counsel, some observation and advice to Moses, verses 13 through 27. If you look at that with me. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people Men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God will direct you, you will be able to endure And all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country." So Jethro may be a brand new believer, but he wasn't born last night. He has some good common sense, some wisdom. And what he observes as he observes the way this new nation is functioning, he says, this just isn't sustainable. So having the gift of administration, this man Jethro humbly um, offers some suggestions. He gives Moses counsel to implement some structural organization for their social system. And he expresses his motive. Really, the heart behind this is he wants Moses to be able to endure. He says, you're going to wear yourself out, man. I don't want to see that happen to you. Don't burn out. And he also wants the people to have their needs met. We see this in verse 18. He says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. And he says, I don't want to see that happen. I don't want the people to be frustrated and not have their needs met. And I also don't want to see you burn yourself out. But he also expresses humble awareness that this should only be done with the Lord's approval. In verse 19 and verse 23, you see he is very careful to acknowledge God. In verse 19, he says, I will give you advice and God be with you. He's sort of recognizing like, listen, I'm giving you this insight and this counsel. Make sure that this is what God wants you to do. 
Verse 23 kind of has the same idea. He says, if you do this, God will direct you, saying that this is one course of action, and I'm trusting that if it's the right course of action, God is going to direct you into it. He's, he's not sitting there being bossy and saying, Moses, l- let me tell you, this is what you have to do, and if you don't, you're an idiot. He says, no, here's just some observations. Here's some things I think would be helpful. You seek the Lord in this, but I think this would be a good idea for you. So we really see some humility here and and really a desire to help. He wants both Moses and the people to have their needs met. And Moses implements the changes that Jethro suggests, and it works well. It takes some of the pressure off Moses. And now the people also can go home in peace because they've had their issues solved as well. And then it ends with Jethro departing in peace. It says, Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So it's a happy ending. Moses and Jethro are reunited. There's mutual honor and affection. There's the sharing of all the things that God has done, and a heart is changed. And Jethro says, your God is the God, and I want to worship him. And then Jethro, with this new loyalty to God, desires to bless and help Moses and the people of God. And it's really a great heartwarming scene in many ways. And really this story and the one before it, I want to put them in contrast. So Jethro of the Midianites and then the Amalekites, two different Gentile groups that Israel now has interacted with. Really they both are a fleshing out of the Abrahamic promise. Remember back in Genesis chapter 12, what had God said to Abraham? Centuries before, when he called him, he said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Check, that is happening. And I will bless you and make your name great. That is happening. Get this, so that you will be a blessing. Jethro was experiencing some of that blessing as he was drawing near to Israel and to Israel's God. God also told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. We see that happening with Amalek and with Jethro. Jethro comes to bless Israel. He is a help and a resource, and he's also experiencing blessing. He's able to share in worship and share a meal with their leaders, and he departs in peace. What about the Amalekites? Well, they come to attack, And they end up getting the sentence of judgment leveled against them, that God gives the command to wipe out the Amalekites. This is simply the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenant being fleshed out in real time. Look at the contrast between Jethro and Amalek, these two Gentile entities. Amalek attacks the vulnerable, the sick and the tired and the weak, remember, the aged. Jethro harbors and escorts the vulnerable, Moses' wife and children, two opposite Um, actions. We saw that Amalek despises God, makes war against his people. Jethro believes and fears and worships Israel's God. Two opposite responses. Amalek had opposed God's purpose for Israel. Amalek was not willing to let them pass through unharmed, but tried to attack them and exploit them, getting in the way of God's plan to bless them and bring them into the land of Canaan. But Jethro, on the other hand, supports God's purposes for Israel. In fact, he contributes wisdom and counsel. He's trying to help them get where God wants them to be. Totally opposite actions. And so their destinies are opposite as well. Amalek is overwhelmed with the sword, chapter 17 tells us, while Jethro worships with Israel and goes away in peace. Really, it's a contrast. 
A contrast between those who fear God and those who don't. That's the contrast. And it reflects God's faithfulness to his ancient promise to Abraham. He is blessing Israel, blessing others through them. But those who dishonor him are cursed. Here's the central point of this story. Here's the lesson that it teaches us. Those who fear God will experience his blessing and will desire to bless his people. Those who fear God will experience his blessing and will desire to be a blessing to his people. I think that's what we're observing here with this contrast between Amalek and Jethro and the things that are happening with the conversion of Jethro and the way that he's a blessing to Israel and then he experiences blessing as well. Those who fear God experience his blessing and will desire to be a blessing to his people. The story reinforces our awareness that in the world, there's two kinds of people. There are those who fear God and there are those who don't. Our society today wants to divide people into a lot of different groups, and really none of those categories are that important. This is the category that matters, those who fear God and those who do not, those who believe and those who don't, those who embrace God's covenant purposes and respond in worship, and those who oppose God's covenant purposes and experience judgment. There's two kinds of people, those who fear God and those who don't. Those who fear God will experience his blessing and will desire to be a blessing to his people. So let me ask, which one are you? Which one are you? Perhaps maybe you are on the fence today when it comes to how you are going to respond to God. Maybe your parents made you come. Maybe another family member talked you into it. Maybe you're just curious and you're still evaluating this. Like Jethro, who's hearing about this God, but you don't yet have your mind made up. Maybe you've heard of Jesus, you've heard about the gospel, and you know other people, perhaps a friend or perhaps some people in your family, and these other people that you know, they're totally committed to God, they're totally sold out, they're all in, but what about you? What about you? Have you heard about what God has done? Yes, there's this amazing story about Egypt and the plagues and the Red Sea, but have you heard about how God is saving people today? bringing them out of bondage and slavery to sin? Let me play the part of Moses and tell you some of the things that God has done. He has sent us someone greater than Moses to lead us in a new exodus. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, his own son. And Jesus died on the cross for sin and rose again. And he's now leading all who will believe in him into a new life of joy, a new life of worship, a new life of obedience, a life that is eternal, a life that is destined for glory, for eternal rest in heaven with him. Let me tell you about what the Lord has done for us. Many of us today in this room have experienced that great deliverance. We've had our hearts made new. We've had our sins atoned for. We've been granted adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. And he's broken the shackles of sin. He set us free. And he can do the same for you. Will you follow the lead of Jethro? Will you hear about what God has done and say, he is my God? I know that he is the one the only one who can save. And I want to devote my heart and my life to worshiping and obeying this God. 
Do you fear the Lord? And will you respond to him in faith? Will you embrace God as your God and trust Jesus as your Savior and surrender your life to him as your Lord? Listen, there's only two kinds of people in the world, those who fear God and those who don't. Jethro is not the only one who heard about God. It's not enough for you just to hear about it, to know about it. What's required is a personal response of your heart, of fear, repentance, faith, embracing Christ as your own. If you're a believer today, though, I do want to offer a few observations on the fear of God, observations from this story that I think can be directly applied to our own lives as believers. And the first is this. Number one, the fear of God produces love for God's people, love for God's people and a desire for their good. And so if you fear God today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, this is something that needs to be demonstrated in your life. You know, we're living in a time of high tensions and intense relational strains. There's a lot of conflict out there and maybe even in our own homes and families and even in the church sometimes. There's a real battle that's being fought and it's a necessary battle. There's a war for truth that is being waged and we do need to contend for the faith and we will. But it's all too easy in our efforts to contend for the faith, to contend with the faithful. And that's a different thing. It's easy for us to get in fight mode and forget sometimes that that caravan that's approaching us is not the Amalekites, it's Jethro. They're friends and we don't need to be attacking them with the edge of the sword. In times like today, more than ever, it's important that those who truly fear the Lord need to take care to love others who fear the Lord to honor one another, to be concerned for each other's well-being, to share a meal, to come together in worship, to take interest in each other's welfare, to desire each other's good. That's something that should be expressed by those who truly fear God. We see a great example of this in Jethro. If you love God, you will love his people. In fact, Jesus says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And this love needs to be demonstrated in tangible ways as we seek to bless each other. So the fear of God produces a love for God's people and a desire for their good. And that should be evident here. Secondly, the fear of God produces interest in God's purposes. It produces an interest in God's purposes, a commitment to his kingdom agenda. Look at Jethro again. Jethro took an interest in God's purposes. What was God's purpose? To bless this nation and make them great and lead them into the land of Canaan. He knew that they were, you know, point A is Egypt, point B is Canaan, and they're kind of in the middle right now. And and Jethro said, what can I do? to help them get one step closer to the promised land? What can I do to help God's purposes for this people come to pass? What can I do to support and enhance what God is trying to do right now? That's the heart of someone who fears God. You care about what God cares about, his purposes. It's, it's demonstrated in a commitment to his kingdom. And this is something we can observe in the life of Jethro. His advice to Moses really would do nothing to help the Midianites. But that was no longer his greatest concern. His greatest concern was the purposes of God. 
Jethro's fear of the Lord meant that now he took personal interest in seeing those purposes advance and wanted to contribute in any way that he could. So we have to ask ourselves, if we fear the Lord, are we focused on God's purposes? What purposes occupy your heart? What's your focus? What's your priority? You know, there's a lot of agendas you could be invested in. You might have your own agenda, your own five-year, 10-year, 30-year plan. There's political party agendas that compete for our loyalties. There's the agenda of this or that ideological group. But if you fear God, you will be completely devoted to his kingdom agenda. Jesus puts it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died not so that we would live for ourselves, but for him who died and for our sake was raised. Paul says, listen, Jesus died for us so that we would live for him. So evaluate your heart this morning. Are you interested in God's purposes for his people? Are you interested in God's agenda for the church? In his redemptive plan for the world? And are you personally invested in that? Because that is what you will do if your heart truly fears God. That's how the fear of God is demonstrated. The fear of God produces an interest in God's purposes and a commitment to his kingdom agenda. And then third, the fear of God produces also a spirit of cooperation. A spirit of cooperation and a willingness to personally engage with others. We need to be for, for those who belong to the Lord and willing to engage with them and cooperate with them. There's a tendency that some people have, maybe it's personality, maybe it's culture, the way they're wired, it's this American cowboy spirit, but it's like, I'm going to do my own thing, you do you, I'll do me, I'm going to take care of my business, and if you need help or if you're struggling or weak, well, you better get it together because I'm just kind of doing my thing. And there's an unwillingness to cooperate. Or there's maybe the tendency to do this, to say that, okay, this person is struggling or in need of help, and I see all the things they're doing wrong. And what I'm going to do is sit back and criticize them. I'm just going to pass judgment on them, be like, here's all the ways that they really should be doing things differently. How does Jethro respond when he sees the shortcomings in Moses's, you know, mode of operation? Does he sit back and say, Moses, what you're doing is not good. That's dumb. You're really doing a poor job. And then walk away? No, he says, what you're doing is not good, and let me show you how it can be better. He's willing to engage with Moses and to cooperate with him in helping him to structure this thing in a better way. You know, we're going to see things in the church. We're going to see things in each other's lives that are not good. In a sense that it's not sustainable. It's not wise. It's not going to help us further God's purposes. And rather than withdraw and condemn with a critical spirit, a heart that fears God is willing to engage with people and cooperate with them in working towards change, working towards growth. If you fear the Lord, this is something you will be willing to do. Jethro didn't demonstrate a critical spirit. He wasn't apathetic. Oh, you're going to do it that way? See how that turns out for you. No, he engaged with Moses, said, let me offer you some humble observations, some wise counsel to consider because I care about you and I care about this people and I want to see this thing work. 
Those who believe in the Lord, those who fear him, are going to find solidarity with other believers and have a desire to cooperate with them and to receive that kind of ministry as well. This is what it looks like if we truly fear the Lord. We'll have a heart that is open to this. The fear of God produces a spirit of cooperation, a willingness to personally engage with others. You know, we are a people who have experienced God's mighty and gracious deliverance. Like Moses, we have some awesome stories to tell. And I've heard many of your stories, and they're amazing. And just like Moses, we have the opportunity to share this good news with others, to tell them all that the Lord has done for us. Like Jethro, we also have an opportunity to seek the good of God's people. We have an opportunity to contribute to the furthering of God's purposes and participate in what God is doing in the world. So my prayer for this church is that the fear of God in our hearts, that it would result in worship, that it would result in mutual affection, that it would result in cooperation in the work of the ministry, and that God God would use us to bring about blessing, mutual blessing for the people of God and blessing for those who at this point are still on the outside that they might have an opportunity to see and to hear and to come join us in the worship of the one true God. Will you join in with us and be part of that? If there's something in the way, then evaluate that. If there's a critical spirit, if there's a lack of personal commitment, whatever it may be, if there's another agenda competing with the affection of your heart, whatever it may be, you may need to lay some things to the side. And the motive for that needs to be the fear of God. God, I see who you are and I see what you're doing and there is no other option I have except to devote myself fully to you. I am yours. Here I am. Here I am. Let's bring that heart together before the Lord. God, we read your word and we're amazed by the stories. They're true and they are awe-inspiring. And Lord, we think about what you've done in our own lives, the great work of grace and redemption that you've brought about for sinners like us. We think about the amazing stories of, of your provision in our lives, the ways you've protected us and guided us. Lord, we think about your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy. And we have much to talk about with others. And Lord, as we witness the response of Jethro, we strongly desire that others would hear our testimony and our story and that they would believe, that they would be converted that they would own you as their own God, that they would come before you and worship and, and repudiate all other false gods. And Lord, we desire like Jethro that each of us would be able to be a blessing, to be a contributor, to participate and invest in your purposes in this world. Like Jethro, Lord, we want to have a heart that desires to bless your family, your children. So Lord, if there's things in the way if there's a a critical spirit, if there is an unwillingness to engage with other people, I pray that you would expose that in our hearts, that you would bring about change, that we would understand what your will is for us and that we would respond in humility and faith. So God, bring about continued growth and change and sanctification in this church. Use us, Lord, to tell the world how great you are. And we pray that your purposes would be advanced in us and through us for the sake of your name. Amen.